Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Learn to Love podcast, your guide to everything love, sex, intimacy, and relationships. Each week, your host, Zach Beach, interviews new experts on love, including couples therapists, relationship coaches, sex educators, and best-selling authors. Learn the best tips and cutting-edge wisdom to better love yourself, others, and the world. Thanks so much for joining us. We hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to the Learn to Love podcast, everyone. I am your host, Zach Beach, and I'm here with the incredible sexologist, Marla Renee Stewart. Hello, Marla, and welcome to the show. Hey, Zach. How are you? I'm quite well, and I'm excited that you're on the show. And we haven't had a sexy topic in a while, and I'm excited for the juicy conversation we're about to have. And for our listeners, our topic for today is on keeping your sex life alive. And for those that don't know, Marla Renee Stewart is a professional sexologist, intimacy relationship and sex coach, speaker, and author. She is a sexpert for lovers, an adult wellness brand and retailer helping people reach their greatest potential, as well as the owner of Velvet Lips, a sex education company. As a faculty member of Clayton State University, she teaches sociology and women's and gender studies. Marla has studied human sexuality for over 19 years, has educated over 20,000 people, given over 400 workshops, and has served over 100 clients in her own private practice all around the world. She co-wrote her first book, The Ultimate Guide to Seduction and Foreplay, with Dr. Jessica O'Reilly, and is currently writing a chapter and co-editing An Intersectional Approach to Sex Therapy, coming out in 2021. How are you doing today, Marla? I'm excellent. Thank you so much for having me, Zach. I really appreciate uh, being on the podcast. Thanks so much for coming on. And I wanted to begin our conversation today by thinking about the terms we're going to be using today and expanding these terms for many people. Because one of the most common teachings I find from sex educators like yourself is to really expand our idea of sex, expand our idea of foreplay, and even change our ideas of terms like seduction. And one of the first things you talk about in your book is how to think about sex, foreplay, and seduction. So my first question is, what are some key shifts we should make from our common understanding of these terms to perhaps a more expansive one? Well, normally when people think about uh, sex, they really are just uh, like thinking about penetrative sex and and in particular penis-vagina sex, right? And so I think it's really important uh, and what Jess and I emphasize is that, hey, sex looks like a lot of different things, right? There's oral sex, there is Anal sex, right? And all of those terms have the word sex in them, which means it is sex, right? And so we also try to emphasize as well that the foreplay, the seduction piece, the, you know, all the pieces that go with the lead up to sex is or should be a part of people's sexual play, a part of people's sex, right? Because sometimes those are the things that turn us on and get us excited and get us in the mood and be mentally ready for sex. So yes, we really wanted to make sure we expanded our definition and make sure that people understood that oral sex, especially when I coach couples, you know, they're always like, yeah, we do foreplay, you know, we do oral sex. And I was like, oral sex is sex. So yeah, it means you're already engaged in sex. What are you doing before sex, before that? And they always seem to be like, oh, wait, there's something else. 
because there is this assumption that penis vagina sex is the end all be all. It's absolutely true that we have a very heteronormative idea of what sex is. It usually involves a man and a woman and penis and vagina or PIV. And as a result, you know, something like foreplay is like everything before that. And I remember talking to a lesbian friend of mine and she's like, I guess all I do is foreplay, according to most people. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. And that's one thing too, is like, I have a couple right now where she was really troubled because she thinks she might be gray sexual, right? Which is a, a, a on the realm of asexuality. Mm. And she was freaking out because, you know, she wanted, they wanted to have children, but she's like, I don't want to have this penis and vagina sex because it's not that great. And I like, it doesn't bring me any pleasure. And so she's like, well, what are the other ways I could do to get pregnant? And I'm like, you know, there are plenty of ways to get pregnant, right? It's not just penis and vagina, make a baby, there are other ways of getting pregnant. So we had to go through all of those steps. And and my couple, they ended up going to like a, a IVF clinic and talking through it and, mm. and understanding that like, hey, we can have children without actually having to do this, you know, like you said, heteronormative thing that everybody thinks that requires to have a baby. So you mentioned earlier to emphasize foreplay, and I wanted to dive a little bit deeper into this in terms of expanding what we think of normal things that would turn a person on. I remember reading in one book that sex is everything that happens 24 hours before sex. (laughs) And there are many ways to get turned on, to help our partner get turned on that many people aren't aware of. So when you think about the ultimate guide to foreplay, what are some things that you found people get turned on by or people can help their partner get turned on by that many people don't realize? Well, I think the first step in, and what we talk about in the book is with the seduction learning styles. It's really understanding your partner in a very full capacity. It's understanding not only who they are and how they communicate, but how do they want to feel during sex, right? And so the first aspect of the seduction learning styles is understanding, are they a visual person? Are they an audio person? Are they a tactile person or kinesthetic person? Like, what kind of person are they? And sometimes, yes, you can reach someone by having all three. But most of the time, there's usually a majority of one or two things that people are influenced by with their learning. And so what I really have researched over the years and what I found to be, and for me, it feels very true and for many others, is understanding that seduction is really important when you understand the person's communication style. So for instance, if I know, Zach, you are a talker, you love to talk, you love to talk (laughs) about your day, everything that under the sun, when I ask you about your day, you tell me everything you did from when you opened your eyes to when you used the bathroom to take a shower, how you went to work that day or whatever the case may be. When thinking about something like that, I say, okay, Zach's auditory person. So the way that Zach actually needs to be talked to for communication-wise is I need to give him questions. I need to give him feedback. I need to listen to what he's saying in order for him to feel connected to me, right? I need to use big words. (laughs) Mm. or I need to use my low, soft, deep tones so that (laughs) Zach is listening very, very carefully to me, right? Mm -hmm. 
Go on. <laughs> <laughs> or, you know, maybe I'm, you know, playing, you know, your favorite music or I'm thinking about my moans, right? Or my tones, like all of these different things to provide uh, intimacy. And so those things, when I'm doing those things, those are the things that are going to help lead people to uh, to feeling safe, secure, to feeling good, to feeling connected so that they are mentally ready to have sex. So, um, and the same goes for, not the same, but different aspects, of course, for visual and tactile as well. So, you know, with visual, if somebody was visual, I would make lots of eye contact with them, right? I would make sure my place is tidy, you know, and that everything is in its right place. What happens with visual people is that they look at everything. Mm. So when something's not in the right place, it can really be a problem. Telling stories, rich in detail, right? Dressing nice, of course, right? To get their visual attention. And then, of course, there's tactile. And tactile is using different pressure points on your hand, maybe dancing with them or playing with your fabric on your clothes, right? Most of us use a lot of cotton. So maybe you want to wear silk or linen or corduroy or a seersucker, or maybe there's a different type of material that you want somebody to touch. And of course, using their hands or or any kind of movement that you can get them to, to move in. So I say these things are the, the communication methods that you really need in order to establish what kind of person you are trying to have foreplay with. Um, and once you understand that piece, it gets a whole lot better. So this is really fascinating. I just want to repeat what I'm hearing from you. Basically, many people are familiar with the concept of learning styles, that we all kind of gain information in different ways. Some people love to read, some people need more experiential things. So are you saying that basically a person's learning style is the exact same thing or exact same way that they are turned on with their partner? I'm saying there is a high cor- correlation for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, I wish I could do some scientific testing. I think as a researcher, of course, that's always on my mind. But there is definitely a high correlation. And over the years, I have found that to be the majority of the truth. And then what I'm hearing from you is that we should basically figure out or know our partner's seduction style or learning style so that we can be more able to meet their needs. Absolutely. So how would we go about doing this? Should we just ask them if they're visual, auditory, or tactile in their seduction? Or is there maybe like a more, I don't know, sexy way of going about it? (laughs) Yeah, totally. It's so funny. Um, So there's a couple of ways. One is you can totally take my quiz because I totally have like a quiz where you can do that and figure that out. So that's sort of like the easy version. Or if you really want to figure that out for yourself, see, is your person a talker, right? When you ask them a question, hey, Zach, how was your day? Do they go, oh, my day was good. Or do they go, oh, my day was so long. I woke up, my back was hurting. And then, oh my gosh, I saw a bug on my mirror and it kind of freaked me out and I didn't know what to do. And Blah, blah, blah. And they go on and on and on and on and on, right? So that, that would be a good indicator to, to know that someone is auditory. Now, if someone is more visual, usually I tell people, all you, you can see what their eyes do. Because generally people who are visual, they'll look at you and then they'll look all the way down your body. 
and <laughs> all the way back up, right? Mm-hmm. Eye contact is huge for people who are visual. So they like to keep eye contact. They like to study uh, vis- by, uh, by visual means. And then there's the tactile people. Oh my gosh, I love tactile people. They're so funny to me because you take them to a store and what do they do? Or a museum or anything. They touch everything on the shelves, right? They touch all the clothes. They touch everything on the shelf. They have to feel it for themselves. So when you see someone who like tries to touch or reach out or wants to grab things, you can tell that they are a tactile person. Nice. So innovative. I hope our listeners are already thinking about, hmm, I have noticed my partner talking a lot lately. (laughs) (laughs) People have noticed that a lot, especially in these COVID times. (laughs) (laughs) So I want to go deeper into seduction because you kind of mentioned this. This can also be thought of as like a seduction style that we might have. And I find for a lot of people, this term seduction is relatively loaded and also relatively limited. So first, I think a lot of people think of seduction as something that happens at the beginning of a relationship, like you seduce the person you're going on a date with so that they enter into a relationship with you. And there's also, I want to say, a little patriarchal, just a little bit man-dominated. And a lot of people think that men are the seducers and then women are the seducees. So how do we break out of this and how should we start thinking about seduction? Well, what I think is really one of the most important things that we need to start thinking about is sort of getting out of that binary thinking and into thinking about people's assets more, right? So a lot of us already know the love languages, right, by Gary Chapman. It's sort of like understanding if they were to implement this type, the seduction learning styles, and understand that they can actually do these things without it being tied to any kind of patriarchy, which which is very purposeful in the way that Jess and I wrote this book because it is for everybody. We don't say these people need to do this or that person needs to do this. We say people need to do this. Like it doesn't matter who you are, just figuring out what kind of seduction learning style you have is going to be the most important factor. Now, when people are trying to, I guess, get out of heteronormativity and get out of those stereotypical gender roles, I think it's important to have some self-awareness. And with our book, we talk a lot about self-awareness, a lot. Like, do you know yourself? Do you, can you say something during sex? Can you, you know, what are the things that you can do? What are your sexual assets? Being really aware of yourself is going to be one of the most important and key things when we're thinking about seduction, right? If I know my legs are really sexy and I'm like, Zach loves my sexy legs, maybe I need to wear a short skirt or maybe I need to accentuate my legs a little bit more when I'm trying to do my seduction or foreplay. So understanding that like playing to my assets are going to be one of the best things or maybe I'm really witty, right? Zach loves, uh, he's auditory. So maybe I'm really witty and I have like all the, the best things to say and the right words and I'm funny. Like all of those things can be really helpful. So it's not necessarily dependent on gender, but rather dependent on how the person learns and what they really get turned on by and what they really feel connected about. I actually forgot to mention this, but With the seduction learning styles, I also talk about planting sex seeds. 
And with planting sex seeds, I think they're, they're a really fun thing to do, right? It's sort of like, so if your person is visual, right? You can send them like a sexy or naughty pic of yourself. You can put your favorite toy, like if we were driving these days, I don't know, on their, you know, passenger seat and like see how they react, you know, or going to work or have them thinking about sex. Or maybe you want to do something kinky and you want to do a blindfold. So maybe you put a blindfold out. Really, Doing these things can help with the seduction and foreplay process. So yes, it could be 24 hours uh, beforehand before you think you're going to have sex, but it could also be a week, right? Like a lot of us are busy. So a lot of times I actually tell people, hey, if you want to have sex on Saturday, what are you going to do on Monday to try to have that experience, right? Like what are the things that you're going to do? And, you know, planting sex seeds is is one of those things. So, yeah, even doing something like uh, sex seeds, you know, as far as like tactile, right? Giving them a little massage or, or teasing them or dancing naked with them. Doing something like that is really key. So I love all the advice that you've already given. First, we want to get out of binary thinking. So stop thinking that the man is the seducer and then the female needs to do this. And also just to think about in general, what are your assets? What are your sexual assets? Increasing our self-awareness. And I love what you mentioned, like even on Monday, we can build up tension and energy over time for what's going to happen on Saturday. And... I wanted to go a little bit into some possible obstacles or shame one might be feeling. Because when you talk about these sexy fantasies, as I'm imagining some people might have certain sex scenes in their head that they might feel embarrassed about or hesitant to bring up with their partner. What's the first step to becoming more empowered and exploring our sexual desires and to kind of break out of the sexual shame that's just so endemic in our society? Well, I think the first part is understanding that you you are the person that you need to look out for as far as your pleasure, right? So what are the things that you need to, to think about for your pleasure? What are the things that are going to make you happy? What are your desires, right? What are your boundaries? What are your values, your sexual values? Understanding all these things helps us to be better lovers because then we're able to communicate that with potential lovers. What tends to happen is that, especially when I get clients, they're like, I'm like, okay, well, you know, what turns you on? What do you desire? And they're like, um, I don't know. And I'm like, you don't know what makes you hot in the pants? You don't know what makes you horny? Like, when do you get horny? What, do you see something? Does someone say something? Like, so figuring out those things first are going to be, your best bet because you don't want to be in a situation where, you know, you're with a potential lover and they're doing something and you're like, hmm, I'm not sure if I like this or not, or I, I'm i not really liking this, but I don't know if I should say anything, or maybe they're a dirty talker and you're like, oh my gosh, they're saying so much and I don't know what to do and what should I do? And if I say the wrong things, is it going to be the wrong thing? Like having all of those hangups can really be a detriment to your sex life and can really not only take you out of the the sexual situation, which also means it's taking you out of your own personal and shared pleasure, but it also means that you, you just don't have enough awareness where you can communicate those needs. And so I think it's super, super important 
to, again, understand yourself and have that self-awareness, part of it is the unlearning process, right? So a lot of my clients in particular have like a lot of, you know, religious trauma, you know, being in the Bible Belt and all that they've had to deal with. And a lot of the stigma of, you know, this is wrong because God says so, and really having to break out of that or really having to unlearn those things can be very, very difficult. And it it could be something simple as like, okay, well, you have sex. Is that a bad thing? Did you have fun having sex? And most of the time they're like, yeah, I have fun having sex. Did you have fun having an orgasm? Yeah, I had a good time having orgasm. So, you know, if God made you the way you were, what makes you think that it's shameful to have this beautiful orgasmic or euphoric experience, right? And so really trying to break that down for people, that's in particular to religious trauma, but even understanding people with shame or stigma or people who have gone through childhood or any kind of sexual trauma, thinking about that that shame uh, or guilt uh, that may come with different sexual actions can really hinder. So I definitely tell people to seek out therapy, seek out help, talk to people, and really get the resources they need to be successful sexual beings. So I appreciate your emphasis on increasing our level of self-awareness, simply because a lot of people are just not aware of what it is that they want in the bedroom. They aren't aware of their deepest desires and they aren't also in touch with like their intuition and maybe where their boundaries might lie. And I'm kind of listening to you imagining like two different issues. One is just not knowing, not knowing what we want, not knowing how to communicate with our partner. But there's also like not having the confidence to explore these things or bring these things up with your partner. When you mentioned like dancing naked in the room or I imagine some people who lack confidence in their bodies too or have a sense of shame about how their body looks and doesn't fit up to the impossible standards that we see so often in the media. And I know one of the things that you do is help your clients feel more confident. And I'm wondering what are some tips or advice you might have on building sexual confidence to talk about what we want, to ask for what we want, to reduce anxiety of entering into a relationship with somebody? Well, the first thing I tell people around building sexual confidence, and actually it's uh, in the book too, is thinking about our how to build sexual confidence. So sometimes the things that have affected us, we need to retrain and reframe those negative thoughts into positive thoughts and positive affirmations for ourselves. And that takes time. Uh, You know, people want to, you know, think they can get sexual confidence in in, in a snap, and that's not how it works. We have to do a lot of retraining with our brain, a lot of unlearning, and a lot of really talking out loud about our our desires are, you know, who we want to be and how we want to conduct our lives. And so there's that. And then I think coupled with that, there's also the the knowledge about one's own body and what one's own body can do. And a lot of that comes with masturbation. And (laughs) I always tell people, you know, you have to masturbate. You have to, hell, not like you have to, but you know, it's good and it's very healthy and beneficial for you to masturbate because that is knowing how you can get off. It's understanding, 
your body. It's, uh, I just had a client that had a, um, it was a couple and the woman, uh, it was a heterosexual couple. The woman had a, a suction toy. And I was like, uh, I was like, well, a suction toy is not going to work if you have this kind of clitoris, right? Or if you, if your vulva is in, you know, this position or that position. And so some people, you know, they buy toys because they hear, you know, they're somebody ranting and raving like, oh my gosh, this is the best toy ever without realizing that our genitalia is very different, right? It's like, I want a suction toy, maybe because my clitoris is a medium to large, right? So, you know, I might go to the lover's store and I might say, you know, like, hey, I need a suction toy. I need like a, the Womanizer Liberty or I need, I might need something like that to, to help me get an orgasm. Or if somebody has like a smaller clitoris or maybe a front-facing vulva, they're like, hey, you know, I might need the magic wand. And that might be helpful because, you know, maybe they like to hump or maybe they masturbate on their stomachs. Understanding their own bodies is going to be much better. And even, you know, for folks with penises, right, like understanding, hey, circumcised or uncircumcised, what kind of section, you know, what kind of stimulation do you need, right? Different kinds of toys or different kinds of touches around the shaft and the head can provoke different feelings. So, even understanding like what feels good and expanding on what feels good, not just, you know, masturbating the same way you did when you were 16 years old, but masturbating in different ways or with different toys that really help you to expand not only what you think of sex or how you can achieve orgasm, but expand your mind as to how other people can also explore their bodies and achieve orgasm as well. Wow, you just mentioned so many things and I'm like, all right, what's, okay, what, what's this suction toy? What's this magic <laughs> wand? What's this small clitoris, large clitoris? So <laughs> let's go a little bit into, I want to go a little bit into toys, but maybe couple it with, you just mentioned how important it is to be comfortable with our body to basically pleasure our body and feel really good about that and exploring that and also to have knowledge about our body. And I'm wondering what are some kind of go-to, I'll say tools perhaps rather than toys. I don't know. But what are some go-to tools or toys for us to get more in touch with our bodies, what we like and what we don't like? And what's your kind of go-to recommendations? Yeah, it's so funny because like as an educator, we've kind of like, you know, we say like sex toys, but they're definitely tools. And then we've also talked about sex technology. And I think sometimes people think sex tech can be something that's freaking like, you know, virtual reality or something, but that's not necessarily all the case, right? Sex tech is literally just the technology used to enhance pleasure in our bodies or enhance orgasm. So yeah, bodies fascinate me. Oh my gosh. And so what I was talking about, we addressed it in the book. We kind of talk about, hey, some folks have front-facing vulvas. Some folks have back-facing vulvas, right? Of course, yes, there's some folks that are right in the middle, but there are different toys that are better for some people. So like I said, the suction toy, like the like the Womanizer Liberty or the, um, or the Womanizer Duo, which actually gets to the G-spot and the clitoris, and it's like it's a suction toy. Well, Technically, it's not suction. It's like, you know, pulsing air, but, you know, feels like suction just the same. 
So those are really good for folks who who like suction or like I said, who have like a medium or to large clitoris. And then there's like folks who have smaller clitorises or who masturbate. Um, sometimes I think Betty, Betty Dodson called them clit mashers, right? Where they would just, they need like the magic wand or magic wand plus, right? To, to put a lot of vibration on their clitoris to stimulate it. And so what I was saying is like, as someone who is back facing, in order to have better sex, in order for the sex to be more pleasurable, you're going to need like a wedge or something to pop to prop up your butt because your vulva might be back facing. Whereas if you're front facing, not not maybe not so much. You don't need necessarily like a, a wedge pillow or a, a pillow to get your butt up in the air. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, as a person who has a penis, right, you might want something like there's a, the Alex Neo Masturbator that's at Lovers. That's really um, a really great toy that has like all sorts of different mechanisms. <laughs> um, but um, it also has a sleeve like that has all these different feelings. So sometimes thinking about even if you were to do a, a an erotic massage with someone, you know, doing a, a regular stroke is just more or less regular, right? But when we use different pressure, like on our fingertips, maybe around the shaft, around the head, or maybe we want to touch the the testicles or whatever lightly or braise the perineum or whatever we want to do, we want to be able that we have some sort of awareness around our bodies. And especially, you know, with folks with penises, you know, the same with goes with penises. Do Does a person with a penis have really strong pelvic floor muscles, right? Function well. And then making sure our genitals are uh, compatible, making sure our genitals are compatible with our, our lovers. But yeah, and we can do that through the exploration of toys. Hmm. I feel like I could just listen to you talk about all the sex toys and all the explorations <laughs> that we can do all day. But but we have to get into today's topic <laughs> eventually, which is keeping our sex life alive. And I wanted to perhaps begin with kind of like a normal case study. Like, let's say I'm in a long-term relationship. I love my wife or husband very, very much. But between our work schedules and the kids and the chores, sex life is non-existent. So before we talk about keeping our sex life alive, what if it's just dead and we have to resuscitate it? (laughs) (laughs) Well, that happens a lot. (laughs) (laughs) And like you said, it's because of all the stressors of everyday life, right? It might be the kids. It might be your overwhelming job that's taking up so many hours of your day. Um, There's so many different, it might be, oh my gosh, especially COVID times, like the people in your house, right? Like how many people, you know, did you quarantine with? Like, did you go to your parents or did your parents come with you or who are the the family members that might be in your house that might be hindering um, your ability to have more sexual interaction with your spouse, right? So, okay, let's start with you. It's already dead. That's what happens. Let's let's get real. It, it dies, right? And a lot of times it's because each person in the relationship is feeling 
Like maybe the other one doesn't necessarily want sex or they're not communicating. And usually it's because there's something outside of their sex life that is affecting their sex life. So like I said, it could be kids or relatives or jobs or whatever. Those things, when those things are not in line, that can really hinder your sexual life or your sexual relationship with your spouse. So eliminating the stressors are going to be the first and foremost things. So maybe your parent, you need to take your parents back to where they live. Maybe you need to get a babysitter for a few hours. Maybe, you know, you need to give a, get a babysitter for a weekend or <laughs> whatever. Or maybe it's like quitting your job and going to a job or applying for a job that, you know, will give you less stress or more autonomy or something like eliminating those stressors are a key factor into helping people be more expansive around their sexuality. And once those things are dealt with, maybe, oh gosh, I had a couple, it was cleaning, Hmm. right? And it was like, oh my gosh, the place is always a mess. And I'm like, hire someone to clean. If you hire someone to clean, or maybe you do the cleaning as a, a couple's activity and not one person does it better than the other, does it over or whatever, that will eliminate some of that stress, right? So cleaning tends to be a lot, but sometimes it also has to do with the lack of intimacy, the lack of affection, the lack of connection. And again, going back to the seduction learning styles, not catering to your lover and giving your lover what they need in order to feel connected to you, right? Like, I need a lot of affection. You got to give me a lot of kisses, right? (laughs) So if me and you, Zach, were in a relationship and you weren't giving me kisses, I'd be like, I need more kisses to feel good in this relationship. If you can't give me those kisses, we need to think about something. We need to figure it out. Like you need to, we've got to figure it out. So eliminating stressors is a number one thing. And then from there, then you can start working on the foundation, getting acclimated, doing those things that allow for connections, such as intimacy, having really great conversations with each other, holding each other, hugging each other, kissing each other, you know, making out, doing those things that will help you not only connect behaviorally, but also connect on a hormonal level, right? So getting your dopamine hits, getting your oxytocin from your lover lovers is going to be key into sustaining that connection with them. So step one, eliminate the stressors as best you can. When you said eliminate the stressors, I was like, yeah, just get rid of the kids. (laughs) (laughs) Eliminate them. No, no, no. No, no, no. Find a babysitter. Maybe a relative can take care of them for a weekend. So eliminate the stressors. Somebody clean the house. Step two, work on the foundation, creating that foundation of connection that was so lacking because you just haven't been focusing on your relationship most likely either, along with not focusing on your sex life. So eliminate stress, start working on the foundation, create connection. And is there more? Yeah. And then after that, it should be relatively easy, provided you already have really great communication. (laughs) Uh, Communication could probably be one of those stressors. Like I have a couple right now that want the same exact thing. Like I'm talking to them individually and they literally want the same exact thing, but they haven't told each other that they want the same thing. 
And I find that absolutely fascinating because I'm like, oh my gosh, you all want the same thing. Why can't you talk to each other about it? And I'm glad I have the job to be able to be like a mediator to to help them. But at the same time, I think you should always, always, always get into a relationship where the communication is easier than not 95% of the time. And you should be able to to express yourself and be able to say what you like and don't like, because that is going to help you, um, again, be successful. So after eliminating the stressors, after getting connected and warming up, the third thing would be to do is just to say yes. Hmm. A lot of times people have a hesitancy or say, I don't feel like it or whatever. And I think that is a problem, right? So we have to understand that behavior comes before the feeling, not the other way around. And so when we do a behavior such as smiling, something simple, you smile. When you smile, it makes you feel better automatically. Your body behaves, it's hormonal. Same thing with sex. You do the sex, provided you like the sex, Now, if you don't like the sex, that's going to be a problem. (laughs) But if you provided that you like the sex that you, you know, you're used to having or you've had had or you have had, you want to be able to just say yes and move into that place of, okay, I'm having sex. Oh, my gosh. And you'll figure out you're like, oh, my gosh, this actually feels good. And this is this is good. And like. I know it could get better or I know, you know, we, what have I, like, what have I been missing? Like, why didn't I want to have an orgasm? You know, like you start questioning yourself that way. So I think it's just best that we understand that behaviors go before feelings and not the other way around. That is so important. Behavior comes before feeling, because I think a lot of people do think they need to feel turned on before initiating any sort of physical connection. So there's actually a breakdown in that um, with desire. So there's like responsive desire and spontaneous desire. A lot of us with high sexual libidos, you know, have spontaneous desire. We might get horny at the drop of a dime. And then there's some folks that are like, oh my gosh, uh, I don't know. I, you know, I can't get turned on, but they need something. They need to connect. That is the responsive desire. And I would say the majority of the time or the folks who maybe don't necessarily have high sexual libidos respond more to responsive desire. So the act of making out actually makes them want to make out more or have sex as opposed to just feeling it. Mm -hmm. So I really love the process that you just enumerated in order to resuscitate a dead sex life, so to speak. (laughs) So I'll give you a new case study. Let's say I'm in a new relationship and the sex is pretty good. And I want to keep it that way. I want to make sure that the relationship that I'm in continues to have a vibrant sex life. And how do I ensure my sex life stays alive and vibrant? Well, the one thing you want to do is to make sure your sexual values, desires, and boundaries align Mm. and that you keep talking about them. We evolve, we grow, we change over time. Our bodies change over time. It's super, super important to really, to understand ourselves in this moment 
but also like, okay, if they change or I feel differently, I need to be able to express that with a lover. Make sure you introduce new things into your relationship too. Like those are always fun, you know? Like I have a, um, a erotic activity um, bucket list. Oh, wow. And um, oh my gosh, I had one couple come to me and they were like, we've done everything on this list. <laughs> and I was like, do it again. You know, when was the, what was the first thing you did on this list? And how long ago was it? Was it 10 years ago when you started this list? Because your bodies have changed. It might be something different and it might look differently. So understand that like, even though you might check off everything on the list or or maybe you don't, because maybe not all the things on the list are what you want to do, but just being open to like trying new things, trying something different, exploring different parts of yourself, meaning mentally, right? As in desire psychologically, but also uh, physically, right? Like maybe you didn't suck toes before, but maybe you want to try it now. That might be something different. Implementing new toys in your life, right? Like I have a couple that always has to have a, a toy. Like she's like, I got to have my bullet vibrator every time we have sex because I'm I'm in charge of my orgasm, right? And so making sure like you have the, the, the toys that are ready or maybe there's always new toys coming out too. So it's always like trying something new, different, trying new sex tech or trying, I don't know, new people. You know, there's a majority of people who who like, you know, to be in open relationships or, or swingers or maybe you just want to be a voyeur and watch it go to a sex club. Just really experimenting with your sexuality, I think, is is key to having fun and exploratory and not getting trapped in the this is what I do to have an orgasm. This is what you do to have an orgasm. OK, let's do that thing over and over and over and over again. Because it can get really redundant and you'll start to want to do something new. All right. The erotic activity bucket list. You're going to have to send me a link to that. <laughs> for sure. For my listeners. For my listeners, of course. <laughs> so I can put it, <laughs> and I can put it in the show notes. And I wanted to ask you a little bit about specifics because you just mentioned we want to make sure our sexual values, desires, and boundaries align. And I'm wondering about that first term, sexual values. What are some examples of values we might have around our sexuality? Mm. Sexual values might stem from relationship style, right? So like, are you a non-monogamous person or are you a monogamous person? Are you a monogamish person, right? Are you like, mm, I'm only want one relationship, but you know, I'll be, you know, I could be sexual. I might have a threesome every once in a while or something like that. Understanding your your values around it could be your uh, body. Like I I value or I don't want to do this or I expect honesty from you at all times. I don't want you lying or I don't want you faking an orgasm to please me. So those are kind of examples of, of values. So thinking about what are the things that are, are core to you and are those things that are core to you, are they also core to your potential lover or long-term partner? So important. We are running low on time. So I just want to finish by asking you a question I love to ask all of my guests, which is quite simply, what do you wish everyone knew about love? 
Oh my gosh. I wish everyone knew that love is expansive. It can be given freely and that love is also an action. So it's what we do that shows people that we love them. Yeah. Great question. I love that. That's beautiful. I love it. Love is expansive, can be given freely, and also in action. Mm-hmm. So wise, Marla Renee Stewart. Thank you so much for coming on to the show and sharing with us all of your wisdom and sexy tips and tricks. And for <laughs> our listeners who want to learn more about you, how can they find you? You can definitely find me um, on my website at velvetlipsexed.com as well as uh, sexdownsouth.com. And you can explore Lover's Stores, uh, which is loversstores.com if you want to think about any of those toys that I said. You can also use my discount, uh, Velvet Lips, to uh, get a 10% purchase off on that. But um, yeah, it's on all social media platforms. So the number one, Marla Stewart or Velvet Lips Sex Ed, uh, Sex Without the E on all social media. Thank you so much for coming on to the show. And thank you listeners for listening to the show. We hope you recognize that just as you have learning styles in your education, you also have seduction styles. So we encourage you to think about what turns you on, whether it's tactile or verbal or something else. We hope you understand that you are the person to look out for your pleasure and it's important to cultivate self-awareness about what you want. And if you want to keep your sex life alive, it's important to make sure that your values, desires, and boundaries align. And don't forget, love is expansive, can be given freely, and also in action. Thank you for listening to the show. If you want to learn more about me, you can head to zachbeach.com and learn more about the show at theheartcenter.com. Thanks again, Marla. Thank you so much for having me, Zach. I appreciate it. Thanks again for listening to the Learn to Love podcast. To learn more about the show and your host, head over to zachbeach.com or theheartcenter.com. You can also follow Zach on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.